Lord, we thank you for this part of the service where we can begin to contemplate your word and listen to your word, hear your words, and be doers of it. I pray, God, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that he would minister to us, but, Lord, also that we would minister to him. We minister to the Lord by living out our lives in a way that would be pleasing to you, so that we would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, that's my desire this morning as well. Amen. You may be seated. Continuing to talk about altar construction. Recently, a congregational member and myself, we got together over coffee. We began to talk about spiritual growth and development. And this person spoke into my life. He, he spurred me on, and hopefully in some way, I was able to spur him on as well in Christian developments. Growth and development is vital to Christianity. In fact, we all need to just grow up. Along with growing old, along with maturity in physical, in the physical way, we need to grow up spiritually. The Bible doesn't speak about a Christian's existence. But when I read my Bible, I read that it talks about the Christian's walk. Trace it through the entire Bible. We have phrases like this, walk in God's ways, walk in God's truth, walk in the light, walk before the Lord, walk in righteousness, walk in the way of understanding, walk in humility, walk in the upright position, walk in God's path, walk in obedience. That is movement. That's advancement. The Christian faith is all about movement. It's about advancing. It's about maturing. It's about venturing. It's about accomplishing. Now, this is what actually breathes life, and it fans the flame. It blossoms the flowers. It brings acceleration in your Christian. If you're here this morning and you're saying, and you would say, my life, my Christian life is boring, then you're simply not growing. And I would say to you, grow up. Grow up. I'm 55, the double nickel, 55 years of age, accepted Jesus Christ into my heart 38 years ago, been in the pulpit and pastoral ministry for 29 years, and I still need to grow up. I still need to grow up. Recently, there's been new personal evangelism developments happening in my life. New golden opportunities to let my light shine and share my faith in a way that has never, well, it's never hit me as powerful as this before. And as I'm walking through those open doors, I'm finding that it's fanning the flame of my own Christian experience and my own faith. And it's causing me to be more and more excited about this Jesus that I serve. I'm growing. I'm developing. I'm still maturing. And it's important that we keep on growing. Just by way of review, this has kind of been a spaced out four-part 
sermon series. I didn't plan it that way, but I just began to to uh, connect the dots and realize I'm kind of in a series, although it's very spaced out. On January the 1st, I spoke on developing a philosophy for your life. Before God, unwrap yourself. Who is that mass man? Who is that mass woman? What is the purpose? What's my purpose of existence? That was key number one in successful development. Know who you are in the sight of God. On January 29th, my sermon was entitled, Walk with God. This was choosing to live a godly lifestyle. Enoch was our example. And he had this testimony, the Bible says, he pleased God. He pleased him, and that was key number two in successful development. Know who you're going to please in the fallen world. You can't please everybody, but you've got to make sure you're pleasing him. You'll fail somebody, but you want to make sure I don't fail God. I want to please him. I'm going to live a life to the best of my ability, according to his word. So know who to please in a fallen, difficult, darkened world. Key number three in successful development was Sunday, February the 5th. I talked about altar building, and it's at the altar where you, you keep knowing who you are in God's sight. It's at the altar that you're empowered in this walk with the Lord. I mean, how can you possibly face the onslaught of worldly influences unless you have those alone times with the Lord? The, your alone times with the Master, with, with the one who has given you salvation. How can you ever make it without spending alone time with Him? Altars are really our charging stations. Altars are fueling stations. Altars are the places where we get the right focus. So for you this morning that may have not been here, and you're wondering what is an altar? In the Bible days, we read of people building altars. It could have been a pile of stones. It could have been a big stone. It could have been made out of wood. It could have been something made out of marble. It could have been made out of brick. See, dimensions and size and materials were not as important as the purpose of the altar was. An altar really is any elevated place, any place that's raised up and is designated as a place that you're going to meet with God and God alone. That becomes your altar. Abraham was an altar builder. Last Sunday, we looked at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And our theme last Sunday was blessed to bless. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to, make you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation through you. The world is going to be blessed. What a promise. Just go. Just go where I want you to go. Don't question me. Just go. And you see, the call... And the purpose for Abraham required an altar from Abraham. The call and the purpose of God really became a reality, I believe, because Abraham said, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to be an altar builder. From this point on, I'm going to make sure that I have my alone times with God. I'm going to be sure to have those designated areas where I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. He's made a promise to me. He's told me to go. He said blessings are going to flow through me. So if that's the case, God, I want to be all that I should be in your sight. I don't want to get caught up in the world. 
I want to make sure that, that I see things the way you want me to see them. And so I've got to build altars. And so the call and the purpose for Abraham to require an altar from Abraham places the call upon the Lord. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit. Now, before I go back, I want to say this. I don't resist change. At least I, I hope I don't. But I grew up in a Pentecostal movement. In fact, the title, the name over the church doors on Walker Street in Truro, Nova Scotia was Calvary Pentecostal Church. I came back to Calvary for all these years. Calvary Temple. Little joke there, very little. Just thought you might like to know that. Every denomination, every denomination has its distinctives, don't they? And I remember as a Young person growing up in that church, one of our distinctives, and next week I'm going to go into some other distinctives, the Holy Spirit, but one of our distinctives, as I grew up in the Pentecostal church, in the Pentecostal movement, was altars. That was one of our big distinctives. We always had altar calls. I would go to the altar as a kid. Why? I'd go there because I watched my father make his journey down the aisle and to the altar. And so I go and I follow my dad and I kneel right beside him because I wanted to be just like my father. So I kneel at the altar and I'd pray with my father. When he got up and left, I got up and left. I was like a little puppy dog just following my dad. Back then, more would come to the Sunday evening service than the morning service. Now, times have changed. I, I don't struggle with change. I want, I'm just telling you what it was like. The Sunday morning service was, was great, but the Sunday evening service, that's when the church was the fullest. And after the Sunday evening service was over, there would be an altar call. People would gather around the altar and they'd cry out to God in prayer, seeking the face of the Lord. This was their altar for that time. And I remember seeing and witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit come down. I remember seeing what God was doing in people's lives as they gathered around the altar and cried out to him. I have fond memories of those days. So I grew up with a, a great appreciation for the church altar and its place, its position when we gathered together. I know what the history is and what it stands for every Sunday I never see myself as standing upon a platform. But I see myself as standing upon an altar. You say, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. In my mind, just maybe a play on words, but here's it for me. A platform is a place where somebody wants to be seen. But an altar is a place where somebody does not want to be seen. See, an altar is a place of death. An altar is a place of surrender. An altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place where I don't want no one to see me, but I want them to see Christ. The only reason I stand here is because I'm so short. You'd never see me if I was standing down there. But really, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to experience God. And so the difference between a platform and an altar, for me, is just that. An altar is a place of death. A place where Jesus is seen. So I have a passion for a well-used altar. It was in 1975 that I went forward to an altar 
It was at a church camp meeting, Camp Evangeline, in DeBert, Nova Scotia, 14 miles from Truro. The call was given. You'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come forward. And as I made my way down and towards that altar, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues. And I remember the stability that came into my Christian life. It was on December 11, 1982, that I stood at a United Church altar. And there, in Saskatoon, I married Lana. 30 years this December. And I remember the great lady that God brought into my life. It was in 2002. I mentioned it a few times. 2002, where I paced across this altar. Stood here, back, went back and forth, calling upon the Lord, saying, God, is this where you'd like my next place of ministry to be? God, I surrender me, myself. I surrender all that I am. If this is what you want, this is the place that I want to give myself to you. I don't want self to come. I want the Holy Spirit to direct me. It was in October of 2002 that I remember the great church that God brought me to. Yes, I have a deep appreciation for church altars. Deep appreciation. But in October of 1974, my altar was a double-wide bed in a hotel room in Darkman, Nova Scotia. That was the point where I said, enough games. Now it's all in. I'm all in. God, here's my life. And I gave my heart to the Lord, lock, stock, and everything is yours. But it was not at a church altar, in a church sanctuary. It was in a hotel room, kneeling at a double-wide bed. I remember the instant weight of sin being lifted off my shoulders and the cleansing transformation of the Holy Spirit. And I remember the almost instant call into full-time ministry. Yes, we have an altar in this church And yes, I have fond memories of past church altar experiences. But I want you to know the altar can be any place. Now, I know people have said, I've got to get, they're driving downtown somewhere, and they say, I've got to get to church. I've got to find, I know there's an altar there, and they come in, and this has happened. They come to the doors of the church, and they begin to kneel here and cry out to God, marvelous, wonderful, we have an altar here. But your altar can be any place. Any place that it's elevated, lifted up, Places where you meet with God. And when you meet with God and when you find those altars and you begin to call upon his name, it will bring successful growth development in you. Number one, the altar. The altar, a great place for accountability. Let me give you four places, four things that can happen at the altar. The first one, it's a great place for accountability. It's a little scripture that I often hear in my head, it's running over. It's like a tape that keeps playing. It's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. Here's another one that kind of goes in my head as well. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. I mentioned earlier that there's new things that, that God has been doing in my life. I'm hearing those things because... Of altar times with the Lord. Gary, I want you to walk through those doors. And I realize there's coming a time when God is going to say, 
What did you do with my words? Last week I said that we here we sit in such a blessed state. Blessed state. Grace has come to us. Grace has come to the church. Salvation has come to you. The Holy Spirit has come to you. Power has come to you. Peace has come to you. We have so much, we're just bursting. In fact, we got to burst and let it out. How can we contain it? How do we keep it? Oh, we, in Jesus Christ, we've been given all the resources, all the strength, all the power to re- give and to reach out and touch lives and to be effective for him. It's at the altar that I discover, what am I doing for the kingdom? What am I doing and what am I not doing for the kingdom? Am I maximizing my gifts? Am I maximizing my talents and my abilities? I believe that God convicts and God convinces at the altar. See, the altar gets me in good shape. The altar keeps me in good shape. The altar jars me to the reality of what am I here for? And am I doing what I'm here for? Oh, the altar keeps my heart soft for the lost and for the needy. The altar is a place where I'm answerable to God. And if I'm ever going to come to the place where I hear God say to me at the other end, death, resurrection, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I'm ever going to hear God say that to me, I've got to make sure that I hear what he's saying today. I've got to make sure that I that I keep my altar times, my prayer times, my devotional times, by calling upon his name because I am accountable. And at the altar is a great place to hear what God wants to say to you. Number two, the altar. That's a great place to bring your praise. I want to mention this one because... Many times people think altars are for problems. I'll get to that. But maybe many people think I only go to the altar. And if I go there, people are going to think I've got big issues. Or I've got all these skeletons. The altar is also a great place to bring your praise. Not just for needs. How many times in the Bible do we read over and over again of God saying, don't forget my blessings. Don't forget my provisions. Don't forget the victories I've brought into your life. Don't forget the answered prayers. Oftentimes I go back to age 12 when God healed me of asthma and I still thank him to this day. Thank you, Jesus, for touching me. But sometimes we forget to praise and to worship and to adore him and thank him. We can't just come to God with gimmies. Give me this. Give me that. But we come to him with what? Praise him for what he's already given us. So God over and over in the Bible, we read it, it goes right through the scriptures. Where God's trying to drill into our minds. Don't forget my answer prayer. Don't forget the ways out that I gave you while you were in the wilderness. I showed you the route. I pulled you through. I got you through it. Don't forget the supernatural miracles. The altar is a great place to recount your blessings. And I'm sure that this was on Abraham's mind when he built his altars. 
When he built his altars, I'm sure he began to thank the Lord for the promised blessing. Yeah, you said you're going to bless. He probably got, I'm already blessed, God, but you're going to bless me more. But now it's going to be funneled through me and not all just for me, because we know that Abraham had a lot of stuff. But God said to him, I want to bless people through you. So I'm sure that Abraham said, thank you, God, for my wealth. Thank you, God, for my silver and my gold that we read about earlier in the text. Thank you, Lord, for the livestock that I've got. Thank you for everything you've given me. It was also, I'm sure, a time that Abraham called upon the Lord in praise and in worship and in adoration. And may that be also the what happens at our own personal altars somewhere regardless of where it might be. I call upon God. I worship Him. I explode in worship. Number three, the altar. A great place to help keep you from making bad decisions. It is a great place to keep you from messing up in life. Really making a mess. I read in my Bible that when the Lord spoke to Abram and said, go. That accompanying the promise given to Abraham. In Genesis 12. In verse 4, we read that Lot went with him. Lot went with him. Do you think Uncle Abraham kept what God said a secret to Lot? Don't think so. How do you keep that in? I'm sure he told Lot. God told me. God gave me some promises here. Why are we going? Here's why we're going. You want to welcome, join us, come with us if you want. But God's promised blessings and I'm going to go because he told me to go. No, Lot knew about the promised blessing. You can be sure of that. Do you think that Uncle Abraham built his altars in secret? Somewhere so Lot would not see him. No. I'm sure that Lot saw the altars being constructed. They traveled together. They lived together. Lot heard the promise. And Lot also saw the altars that Abraham was building. But for some reason, we never read that Lot ever built his own altars. Something about Abraham didn't quite transfer to Lot. It just doesn't say. You may say, well, maybe, maybe he did. But I can tell you some bad decisions he made. When they separated, we read that Lot went and pitched his tents near Sodom. Why would he ever do that? Genesis 13, verse 13 says that the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning and greatly, sinning greatly against God. And so Lot goes and he says, here's where I'm going to construct my tent. And so I asked Lot, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to get so close to sin and the lifestyle of Sodom? It's going to affect your family. It could affect you. Could it be that never had altars built? And then we read on about Abraham, on the other hand, it says he pitched his tents near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. Genesis 13, verse 18. 
And this was in the direction that God wanted him to go. And then we also read in Hebron that, that Abraham again built another altar. Two places where they're pitching their tents, where they're taking up residence. And we also read that Lot got caught up in this whole sodomite scene. Oh, his investments should have been placed in building altars. He went from bad to worse. Lot, you made bad decisions for you and your family. I really believe that building altars and places to call upon God will keep you. Now, we're always going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes at times. But how many would like to minimize the mistakes? I'd like to do that. I'd like to avoid some potholes. They won't make you perfect. But I believe it'll keep you from some of those potholes you could have fallen into. And we know what happened to Lot. We don't want the same thing to happen to us. The altar is a great place. It'll help you for making bad, bad decisions. Lastly, number four, the altar. It's a great place, great place to bring your pains. I watched the funeral yesterday. It was a long one. I just wanted to see... I want to listen. The very last thing they did as they wheeled out the casket, Whitney Houston's silver casket, they played her song, I Will Always Love You. They had it loud, just as powerful as her voice was. I'll always love you. But I'll tell you, one voice that drowned it out was her mother's. She cried out. I believe she said, my dear baby, my dear baby. She cried out in pain. Louder than her own daughter's singing. Pain. Lots of pain in this world. Lots of pain. Etta James was known as one of the most dynamic jazz, gospel, rhythm and blues soul singers in music. If you follow jazz a bit or that kind of music, you'll know that on January 20th of this year, she passed away at age 73. As a child, she began her singing in church, which is not unusual. Many people get discovered. The great voices they have in church, same as Whitney. So she kind of grew up in the church singing, but she had a rough life. She never knew who her father was. She may have met him in 1987, but it was not confirmed. And because her mother was in and out of relationships, she wasn't home much. And so she was raised by other people. Oftentimes, this caregiver... When she was a little child, had a beautiful voice. This caregiver and others would be in the home having drunken parties. 
And his caregiver would go in and drag her out of bed and say, come on out and sing for us. Demanded, commanded. And she said, I hate it ever since then when people demanded that I sing. Abused as a child. Rough life. And she grew up to have run-ins with the law. She was addicted to heroin, arrested for possession of drugs, charged for writing bad checks. Rough life. Rough life. Two weeks ago, I told my wife on Saturday evening, I just got to go out for about a half an hour in my grass just to finish some little item off. I went out in my garage, turned on 92.7. I like classical jazz music. And the announcer talked about this lady, Etta James. And he said, the next song I'm about to play for you, I want to give you a little background first. He said, Etta James was in and out of rehab. And it was painful for her. And one of these times when she was going to rehab, she dropped by, I believe it was, I could stand corrected, but I believe it was one of her producers. On her way to rehab, dropped into her producer's home, and he said, how are you doing? She said, rough, it's rough. He said, I'm going to sit down at the piano, and I'm going to play. We're going to record it, and you just sing whatever you want to sing. Whatever you want. So he sat down at the piano, and he began to play. And she, the announcer said, all you can hear is the sound of pain. For two minutes and 51 seconds, Etta pours out her sorrow and her hurts and struggles. But not in words. See, we, we often pour it out in words. But a singer is to music and it's just moans of pain. The only word she said at one point that I heard was, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And the very last three words is this feeling so uneasy. You can go on YouTube and check it out. Etta James feeling so uneasy. And then she was off to rehab. I said that to say this expressing pain is never beautiful. Expressing pain is is never pretty. You know what it's like. You've expressed your pain. You know what it's like to go through agony and sorrow and you know what it's like to have tears coming down your cheeks and you don't know what to say. You don't know how to get through it. And I'm saying this morning that the altar is a great place to bring your pain. And many people don't go there quick enough. I'm talking about moments spent in the presence of God. Whether it's a dashboard of your car, or whether it's the altar at a church, whether it's a bedside in your bedroom, someplace raised up where you call upon the Lord and you say, I'm in pain. I'm in sorrow. I'm hurting. I need help. The altar is a great Worship team, you can come. The altar is a great place where you can pour your heart out to God. The altar is a great place where you can experience the the presence of Jesus. Where you can give Him your all, where you can 
experience miracles. What a rehab center at an altar. Stand with me. God, I thank you this morning for the precious, precious experience that we have to converse with God Almighty. And I know, Lord, over the years, things change. But God, the call will never change. Mankind's needs will never change. And so, Lord, we're always going to need to find an altar. We're always going to have to construct something, prop it up, so we can kneel down upon our knees and cry out to our Maker. Cry out to the one who formed us and made us. And God, I know there are people here this morning that there's pain. There's hurts. And they're trying to do it all on their own. And somehow they've forgotten. There's an altar call coming from the Lord. This is my way, son. This is my way, daughter. Come. Meet with me. Cry out to me. Give it to me. Let my mercy flow. Let my healing virtue flow. Let my power once again come into your life. Let me energize you. Let me raise you up. Let me lead you on. Let me carry you. Let me sustain you. Let me give you strength. Let me be all that you need. you want to give praise to God could be because you have pains could be because you know you're accountable to the Lord whatever reason I just want you to know that right here there is one and if you want to use it you're welcome and I'll close after we sing a song there's a cry in my heart for your glory to fall the presence to fill them 
senses There's a yearning again A thirst for discipline A hunger for things that are deeper Could you take me beyond? Could you carry me through? If I opened my heart, could I go? What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock, you are my glory, you are the lifter of my There's a cry in my heart For your glory to fall For your presence to fill up my senses There's a yearning again A thirst for discipline church. You are my church. I live and move and breathe life through you. You are who the lost see and hear and watch. You are free in me. Live, move, and breathe in my freedom. My freedom is love that I pour through you. Be that vessel through which I flow, filled up and overflowing. Love, mercy, peace. The world is hungry. The world is thirsty. 
I have much to give. Open yourself up to my freedom. You are my chosen vessels. You are my church in this world. As you go, let me flow through you into lives you meet. To each one you greet. Through you, I will change each life to free them from sin and strife. I have freedom to give. Let me live through you. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that ministers, the Holy Spirit that flows in our midst. God, as we move from this facility, may this be this morning a charging station where we have met with God. Now, Lord, we we go and we, we begin to give out the electricity that has come in, the life. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.